Now, now, more of the John Chuckery Show. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Well, you can shoot up outside the stadium and break into somebody's car, but no tailgating. Talking about Monday night in Los Angeles, Georgia TCU playing in the home of the Los Angeles Rams. And a lot of people think it's a fait accompli. It's merely a coronation for Georgia. Georgia, a 13-point favorite. And uh, in the Atlantic, nine coaches, some head coaches, some coordinators, unidentified, all of them to a man said, Georgia's going to boat race TCU, basically. Maybe, probably. I think, I think there's about a 68% chance that Georgia does, in fact, boat race TCU. But I also think there's a 32% chance that TCU can make things up different. Number one, TCU is a huge underdog. They love that. They've mm-hmm. been underdogs all year. How many games have you seen them come back exactly. and snatch victory from the jaws of defeat? Mm-hmm. The most epic play was when, um, remember they got their field goal unit on the field with like the clock was yeah. running and they oh, kicked the ball like one second. That week? Was, that, uh, was that Oklahoma State maybe? I, Might have been a feels it, like, it, it feels was a conference like game. Yeah, it was a conference game. I remember that game though. So they, they are used the team out. Yeah. They are used to playing from behind. They're okay with it. Max Duggan, I love this dude. He might be my four, favorite quarterback in this class. Number one, he's got a better arm than C.J. Stroud. Number two, he's a better athlete than C.J. Stroud. And C.J. played great. Played the game of his life against Georgia. And think about this. Yes, we know Georgia's got this vaunted defense, but Georgia has given up some big chunk plays in the passing game. And they have given up several plays of 30, 40 yards. And it seemed like every completion C.J. Stroud made was for 15 to 16, 17 yards and sometimes even more. And TCU has some good receivers and also probably the best receiver in the country, arguably outside of uh, Mr. Harrison. I was going to say, outside of Marvin Harrison Jr., Quentin Johnson is a monster. And uh, Kendra Miller, their running back, very good. He's questionable with an injury. But guess what? His understudy. Imari DiMercato, he went for 150 yards, I think, on 17 carries against the third-best run defense in the country, that being Michigan. And guess what? TCU is also very, very good at forcing turnovers. Now, Georgia will turn the ball over. Stetson can throw a couple of interceptions here and there, and TCU can capitalize. So I, I don't think this is going to be a 40-10 to 10 game by any stretch, and I think TCU – is going to play very relaxed. Now, a lot of people are saying TCU is playing with house money, but they don't feel that way. No, you're playing for a championship. You're playing for a championship. They're going to be sad if they lose, but it's amazing. Sonny Dykes comes in. He was hired just a little bit over a year ago. They were 5-7 and last year. Yes, they got enhanced a little bit by the transfer portal, but this is basically their core is intact. Mm -hmm. He coached them up. They were, I believe it was, they were 300 to 1 odds. Uh, at the beginning of the year to make the college football playoff. Just make just, the uh, playoffs, I believe. Just to the make the playoffs, not yeah. win it. Man. Yep. 301 odds. And it's like, I think it was a Preakness this year. I took a bet on the Preakness, and I almost, and it was the longest of long shots that won it. Uh huh. I threw $100 down on some middle tier horse. Had I put that hundy <laughs> yeah. down on that, that would have been three grand for me. But, Ooh. you know, I can't. I'm not allowed to win anything ever. <laughs> <laughs> Got to find those. Got to find those. Uh, Got to find those uh, long shots and just throw throw 20 bucks on them. It could almost be life-changing money. But uh, 7.30 Monday, uh, kick time, and 
Like I said, the common opinion amongst all those unnamed coaches in that Atlantic article, George is going to boat race TCU. I don't know. I, I'm thinking it's going to be – I think this might be a, a 38-27 Georgia victory is what I think. I think TCU is going to make their presence known. And Max Dugan is that dude, man. Yeah. He is that dude. I, I think he's a Joe Burrow type in a way too. He's special. Um, for, well, one, don't you just love anonymous sources? Yes, of course you do. <laughs> don't you just look? Yeah, it's real easy to go out there and talk tough or make a proclamation when you don't. But have by the same token, too, at least you get that information. They just don't want the heat based on it. Yeah, and, I get and it. you know, if, if I'm if I'm the uh, if I'm say uh, I don't know uh, Mississippi State's uh, new head coach, whoever yeah. that's going to be, I don't want to be on record saying <laughs> right, I think right, George right, is going right. to boat race or any team that plays TCU for that matter. True. You just don't want you just don't want yeah. that nonsense. I'll give you my opinion, but off the record, Absolutely. I'm okay with that. But in other regards, of, yeah, sometimes that's completely unacceptable and ridiculous. Oh, and by the way, former Tennessee quarterback Eric Ainge, he just seems like no one ever loved him enough growing up. He wasn't <laughs> held enough as a child. His <laughs> yeah. level of pettiness and downright jealousy of Stetson Bennett. Now, before Georgia played, Tennessee Eric Ainge tweeted out, Sanford Stadium is nowhere near a daunting a place to play as a Neyland Stadium, paraphrasing. I don't think he even knows the word daunting. But he, he did me, do a mea culpa, though, because those fans for Georgia, that was probably worth about 17 points on that rainy afternoon in Athens. So he, But Eric Ainge was 2-0 and in Athens against Georgia, but that was when Georgia well, was not what Georgia is now. I don't know if Eric – and I'm going to flex my alma mater here again. Ugh. Ah, Georgia State with a Georgia victory State over. Georgia State went up to Neyland, yes. and it uh, wasn't too daunting for us to get a win yeah, in That's Neyland, right. So. That's hmm. right. Damn right. That's right. But – Eric Ainge uh, had some pretty harsh comments on his podcast, and I think it's uh, just re- just take a listen to him. You know who I can't stand though, Stetson Bennett. It was cute when he first got to play and played pretty good, and now the whole like I'm a walk on, I'm a JUCO transfer. He's like 28 and three as a starter at Georgia or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you're cheering hard against him. I'm cheering hard again. I want Stetson. I want Georgia not just to lose the game. I don't want him to lose with Stetson Bennett throwing four touchdowns. I want Stetson Bennett to throw four picks and cost his team a championship. But he's going to go thirty and those last two years and two national titles. And he's such a punk. I can't stand. And he's going to. Why is that? Ne- I have no problem with the same. I hope he throws four interceptions, cost George a game. But when you get personal and call him a punk, exactly. that's my like. If you if you if you want to root against the guy, sure, go ahead. Weird to do so, but go ahead. But Wh- taking personal shots, like what what has Stetson Bennett done to you? Exactly. I I can understand how people might find him disagree. Well, he said what I'm. I guess I'm just too short and ugly or something. That, that he just brushes <laughs> it off. But I. I mean, to call him a punk is just absolutely unprofessional. Certainly, I've mocked people, but I've never come out and just called somebody up. Well, I, I probably have, I guess. Maybe I'm no better <laughs> maybe, than he is. Maybe, maybe I have. But not, not a college kid, though. Yeah, not a college kid. I do it to professional athletes, level. yeah. Because yeah. you're an adult. I know, well, but Stetson's, well, Stetson's 25. <laughs> Stetson older, is older than most of the Hawks roster, but he's, a college, he's still a college kid, though. I don't know. I, I try – I try to live by the mantra. I've been pretty good about it to where I won't say anything on the air that I wouldn't say 
to the face of the person. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I've been pretty good about that. You know, sometimes I'll get a little frustrated with, with someone or they'll annoy me and maybe I'll cross that line. But I'm, I'm pretty good at doing that. But Eric Ainge, that's just that's one of the that's one reason why I have such a a problem with this industry that I am, especially sports media. It's like when you watch Skip and Shannon. That's just it's just absurd. The yell shows mm-hmm. with Stephen A. Smith and Max and whoever the hell's on with right. screaming A. Smith now. Right. It's just such low hanging fruit. There's nothing mm-hmm. intellectual, sophisticated, or nuanced about anything. And Stephen A. Smith, he's not a dumb guy. Well, good for him. He's making nine million a year, but I would never be able to be that histrionic and ridiculous on the air for that. I just think it's it's ridiculous. I think it uh, it just makes our industry look stupid. But the media overall is really stupid and corrupt. And I was going to say for. the issue is that a lot of people in our industry get some success, and then it creates this just ridiculously bombastic, self-inflated ego. There you go. Where they there feel like they are the ones that are important. And Precisely like, right. At the end of the day, well put. at the end of the day, yes, sports media absolutely has a place and it is important for sports. At the end of the day, none of us would have a job if none of these sports ex- existed. Yeah. That's what I and feel it would like is key I, I'm pretty sure the Hawks would be just fine if I wasn't sitting here in this seat right yeah, now. Yeah, I, like I promise you, people are still going to go watch the Hawks. Sports people, existed before ESPN, didn't right. it? Right. I was gonna say, people are still going to go watch football yeah, games on Sunday, yeah. whether or not we talk about it or not. I, I'm just a guy. I, I'm no expert on anything. I just happen to have a microphone. I get a chance to do this. But there's a lot of fans out there that are more knowledgeable than me. But I try. I do my best, and I, I think I do have a clue, and I understand how things work. I've been around the sun a few times, but come out and just call a guy a punk. It's ridiculous. And, and like I said, I'm sorry. You know, oh, it's cute and all. Walk on, went to Ju- Juco and came back. That's not cute. That is noble, actually. It's that resilient. is resilient. That is the, res- <laughs> the amount of resiliency yes. of that kid. It's like if uh, Sisyphus, who kept pushing the rock up the mountain only to have it rolled down, finally got the rock to the top of the right. mountain. And when he came back to Georgia, Dan, I mean, the offensive coordinator and Kirby Smart said, we did everything we could to discourage him and to bury him. But he, he kept coming back, yeah. kept coming back and stuck with it, stuck with it. And when he was running scout team, he gave the defense a better look than the team that they were preparing for. And you just couldn't deny that. And uh, I can't wait to see what he can, might do in the NFL. He may not do anything in the NFL, but it doesn't matter. He'll, he'll probably end up in Congress or Right. Listen, if he ends up in Congress selling insurance, who cares? He's going to be a legend. Oh, he's going to get a statue for the rest of his life. We're going to come back and discuss, though. And we're going to hear from uh, David Pollack, by the way. He was on with uh, with uh, uh, Dukes, Dukes and Bell. That's who they are, right? Carl <laughs> Carl Bell and uh, Mike Carl Dukes. Carl Bell and Mike Dukes. Yes, yes. <laughs> I also love uh, Andy McMichael and uh, Randy Bunker, too. They're fantastic. Along <laughs> That's a good show, too, yeah. We got, we got some good ones on this station. We got station. some great, great shows on this station. But Pollock had a lot of interesting uh, observations as well. Don't count TCU out. They're going to give Georgia a good fight because they're a feisty team. And it's amazing what Sonny Dykes has done in, mm-hmm. in year one. I'm going to say this. Georgia, keep TCU under 30. If TCU scores 30-plus points, that's dangerous because that means this game is getting high scoring, and that's exactly what TCU wants. And that's when they could also, since they are good at takeaways, that takeaway mm-hmm. could uh, tilt the scales. I mean, yep. I, I don't think it's, uh, I, like I said, about a 68% chance Georgia runs away with this. I, I think they will win like 38-27, but I'm not yeah. counting TCU out. Not at all. And it's, it's going to be a 
really interesting game to watch because I haven't watched a lot of TCU. I've, I've seen the highlights of them coming mm-hmm. from behind and all the things they've done. And, and Max Dugan wills that team to win. He's he didn't play great against Michigan, but he willed that team to win, yep. and he, he did hook up with some big plays. Oh, and think about this. TCU's red zone offense is pretty good. You could, you could say, well, Michigan decided to get cute by trying to run a re- reverse on the one-yard line, this, that, and the other. But TCU really clamped down in the red zone against Michigan and limited yep. what they could do. Mm-hmm. Michigan had to settle for a few field goals. You could say it's coaching this, that, and the other. But TCU, better defense than you think. Traditionally, when you think of the Big 12, you think of uh, – a Lincoln Riley Oklahoma team that scores seventy points but might give up seventy two. Same thing <laughs> right. with TCU, but uh, playing a little bit better. I don't know where TCU how they did in recruiting this year. Is this going to be a one off for them? I don't think so. They've been pretty good for a lot of years, jumping around conferences all over the place. All right, we're going to come back. David Pollock, three time Georgia All American. He would have been a really good pro had he not broken his neck. By the way, he was on his way to having a great career. The pride of Shiloh High School out in Snellville. He was on with Dukes and Bell. We're going to hear that interview in its entirety. Coming up next, Rob Triple in for Chuck Gray. Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Now, more of the John Chuckery Show. On Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Bring them out, bring them out. Bring them out, bring them out. Rob Trimble for John Chuckery, Sports Radio 929, the game. David Pollock, the Bulldog legend, the prodigal son of Shiloh High School out of Snellville. Join Dukes and Bell. Let's take a listen, shall we? No one better to talk to than our buddy David Pollock, ESPN College Game Day. Pollock, man, appreciate you. We know it's always a busy time for you uh, this time of year. I, I want to start with Jalen Carter. Why was he not impactful? in that national semifinal game, and what do the dogs need to do to make him impactful in the national championship game? I thought uh, Ohio State did a really good job with their scheme. And and when I say that, I thought they did a really good job rolling the pocket, uh, moving the quarterback. I thought C.J. Stroud did a good job evading Jalen Carter um, several times. So still impactful in the run game, but as a pass rusher, he wasn't as good. And I think – a lot of Georgia fans, oh, he was held. There's holding on every play. Right. That happens every single play. We, we, I mean, offensive linemen, I, I went against them. They're cheaters. That's what they do. That's who they are. That's, <laughs> how, that's how they make their living. Um, so I, I think that um, I expect Jalen Carter to continue to he'll, – he'll continue to play well. But the passing in the secondary was a big concern. And, um, you know, outside of Ringo, it was a, it was a big struggle bus in coverage for Georgia and – TCU's coming in with a lot of good receivers and a really good quarterback. So definitely got some things to fix in the next uh, whatever many days left till the championship. And, and David, we were wondering, uh, how does the TCU offensive line match up with what, I mean, the Ohio State line was big. Can TCU do some of the same things or are they going to man, they're going to be able to man up against those dudes? TCU's line is better than Ohio State's. Um, I, I thought Ohio State was, was really just average at, at center and two guards. I think they're really average at both tackles. Um, much better than TCU's, but as a whole, I think TCU's got at least two guys up front that'll get drafted. Um, they got a really, really, really good guard. Uh, their scheme allows them a, a lot of space because the quarterback runs and the motions and, and, and all the spread elements of their offense and with tempo. So, I mean, listen, they, they got, when you look at their, uh, their players, they got, a, they got a receiver, dude, that's going to be drafted, the, first, the number one receiver off the board. 
they they got a quarterback that's going to be drafted. They got a running back that's a top five running back in college football. They got an elite guard. They got a, a really good offensive line. Like, there's a lot of things about you know this TCU offense that's going to that's going to make you play really really well. It's going to just make you watch tape and go, okay, I got a lot of respect for these guys. They're not just a Cinderella story. They also have the Thorpe Award winner at corner. I mean, David, they got players. That's the thing. I mean, you you know, and he's, by the way, the nephew of LaDainley and Tomlinson. The kid can play. He's a top corner. So all those things make you go, ah, what kind of challenge is this going to be for Georgia? And offensively, are you concerned about that stretch that we went through with Stetson Bennett? I don't know. It was 30 minutes. I don't know how long it was. And then it was like the team woke up offensively. Are you concerned about something like that happening on Monday night? Well, first, they got two good corners. You know, uh, I mean, Tomlinson, you know, Hodges Tomlinson is, is, is really, really good. Um, he's one of the, he won the Thorpe Award for the best corner in the country. And then Josh Newton on the other side, number 24, he's really, really good. Here's what I'll say about their defense. It's very unique. It's very different. It's a 3-3-5, so a lot more DBs on the field. Um, the, the, the thing that – okay, if you talk to any coach in America and you know football – the number one way to attack that is to have really good inline tight ends because mm-hmm. when you, so, so when they built this defense, guys, this defense was built in the big 12. Why, what do you see in the big 12 every week? You see spread, you don't see smash mouth. So I think the, uh, the importance of Darnell Washington being a big deal in this game. I mean, he gives you such an advantage in this matchup. The, the area to attack on TCU, their slot defenders are not good. And Michigan destroyed him. Roman Wilson had a huge game. A lot of success in the slot where, ah, I think that guy, what's his name, Brock Bowers? He's pretty good. <laughs> Lad McConkey, pretty good. Arian Smith, pretty good in the slot. So if you're going to attack this defense, I think you attack it in the slot. Like you saw with Georgia. Listen, the, the number one thing coming into the, in the Peach Bowl, I, I, we all talked about with Georgia's offense, they're just streaky. I mean, there's, there's spells when they can't miss and they're hot as can be and, and they're the best offense in the country. And then there's times where they look like they're lost and they don't know what to do. And, and Stetson had, a, had a, a couple drives in the third quarter that I was like, crap, what the heck is going on? And then in the fourth quarter, he goes 10 of 12 for 193 and two touchdowns. Like, right. he's superhuman. So I, I definitely think it's a, it's a real concern, you know, the up and down. I think Georgia getting challenged, Georgia getting, you know, having a lot of success on uh, offense around him. You're not playing Marvin Harrison Jr. again, by the way. Johnston is the number one wide receiver in this draft, and Johnston is not close to as good as Marvin Harrison Jr. That dude is otherworldly good. Mm-hmm. He might be the best receiver I've ever seen to come out in college football since I've been covering the game. That's how good that sucker is. Wow. It is the three-time All-American in Georgia. David Pollock with us here, guys, on the WaitForIt.com hotline out in California. So what did you make of Kirby's comments about uh, Stetson? And was Stetson so far off script that it, he warranted being scolded in the postgame? Or is this just like a marriage where you have these little little spats? I think it was awesome. Uh, I, I just think it's it's so, it's so on brand for Kirby Smart because Kirby just – Guys, I went over there a couple weeks ago for practice, and me and my high school coaches over here from North Dakota, and we went in all the meetings and stuff. And I just think that I don't know that anybody does it better in America than Kirby of being dialed into every single meeting, whether it's special teams, whether it's offense, whether it's defense. And he is going to bust your flipping balls. He is going to absolutely you, – you cannot play for Kirby Smart 
if you got thin skin. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that stretch that was, was you know, a, a third quarter that was very pedestrian for Stetson, it bothered him. And he wants him to play in rhythm. The, the first drive of the series, of the, of the game, he put, had a great drive. You know, you got a third down opportunity, and he, he pulls the ball and wants to keep it and, you know, makes, makes a, a little bit of a mistake. The interception makes a little bit of a mistake. You know, some bad throws, you know, in that third quarter. And, and I think that, you know, Kirby, just like any, any other coach, but actually more so than coaches, he expects you to do what, you, what you're coached to do consistently and not go through those lulls. And, you know, listen, as a Georgia fan, Mike, how many times over the past six, seven years since Kirby's been there, have we played better than the opponent and lost right. and had to walk away with our tails tucked between our legs and it really, really sucked a lot? <laughs> how awesome is it that you didn't play your best game, you thought you got beat, you felt like you got beat when in reality you missed two field goals, you outrush them, you outpass them, you lose the turnover battle, and you still find a way to beat a great team. Like, it's a good feeling when, you're, when your coach demands that much of you in the press conference afterwards. He's like, I didn't play our best game. You know, probably shouldn't have – maybe should not have won this game. But we made enough plays in the big-time moments to walk away and to win the game. And also the maturation, I think coaches go through a learning curve, Dave. The maturation of Kirby as a head coach, you know, the, the fake punt with Fields to stopping a fake punt with that timeout that was so crucial that they got to him. And, and it's interesting, like, we, we don't give these coaches, like, Kirby's 47. Y'all know what age Nick was when he won his first championship? How old? He was 57 years old. Wow. Like, Kirby's, Kirby's learning all of this on the fly and his clock management has left a lot to be desired over the years. He's made some mistakes and, um, you know, almost made one in the, in the peach bowl, by the way, I thought they should have ran a little bit more clock before they, you know, went in for the touchdown for the score, but the, the, the timeout on the fake punt, I mean, what a timeout, like, is that the greatest timeout called in the history of college football? I mean, I, I think you've definitely seen, you know, maturity and you definitely see a, a willingness to let it rip more on offense and be more aggressive and, and you've seen, and you do. You gotta allow time from that. Mike, you can't jump on the radio at whatever age. I mean, you know, I jumped on the radio with you, and I sucked. I was absolutely awful. Like, you've got to any profession, any job. Nobody started day one and was ready for that job. Like, it takes time to to develop. It takes time. The best teacher is always experience, and I think getting experience all over the years. Same thing with Ryan Day. Ryan Day has been learning on the job. And, and he's taken some lumps along the way. And you saw, I think he called his, his best, most aggressive game he's ever called, you know, in the Peach Bowl. So we all take for granted, you know, where coaches are at. And uh, especially Kirby, just, you know, he was, he's his first head coach at, you know, 40, 41 years old and has been learning on the job while still being in the national title game now three out of the last six years and two other years finishing fifth in the final polls. You know how David Pollock's big time? You know how I know? He just said Nick. <laughs> That's right. He just referred to Coach Saban as Nick. You know when Nick won his first one? That's how I know you're big time, Pollock. Let me ask you about the Chambliss injury. Um, how big of a deal is that on the defensive side if he's not 100%? I don't think he will be. Chaz Chambliss, you're already down edge rushers. Marvin Jones has been playing a lot there. What do you think how that affects them defensively up front? No, it 100% affects you. I mean, this is a guy that – you know, taking the majority of the snaps since Nolan Smith, your your other backer got hurt. So you're you're on your third string guy. Uh, so obviously, you know, your depth starts to get challenged. Shoot, we were dropping like flies the other night. I mean, 
you know, thank goodness Williams was just cramped. Michael Williams was just cramped. By the way, do you see that sucker? Number 13, Michael Williams. He can play. You, not, not only can he play, he's the next superstar. Like, that dude, he, he's got a motor. He's got height. He's got quick twitch. Like, that dude's going to be an absolute freaky Friday athlete um, in the future and pass rusher. So I think that it's going to be a lot of younger guys, you know, stepping up and guys that you haven't heard of, like, you know, Michael. But, um, listen, Georgia's got – they've recruited an elite level, and that really, really helps. Right? Mm. And it's next man up, and it's the way it works. You've got to deal with injuries in the season. But the Darnell Washington injury against, you know, TCU is, is a big deal. But you recruited – you know, highly recruited Oscar Bell, you know. Mm. So I think – this is what you're. This is what you try to build. You try to build team, and you try to build as much talent as you can because you know along the way you're going to take hits on that depth chart, and it's just the way it works. All the things you just laid out, Dave. You think it's a high scoring game? I know I, I've taught you how to gamble too. Uh, Sixty two and a half. So this going to go over, right? Be a lot of same same as what we saw against Ohio State. I mean, it, it's crazy to watch. You know, both semifinals and watch points Palooza and and watch close games, which, the way, covering the, the semifinals for all these years now, it's really nice to actually have good games because most of the time the games suck. So it was fun to have, you know, two competitive games. I, I do. I think it's got a good chance to be high scoring. I think both teams, you know, are going to have to have answers to some riddles to solve. Like, you know, Lasseter, he, he struggled last game big time. Um, actually, the Georgia's defense, I think – I don't – the stat or not but it was it was a stat that kind of blew me away because people talk about Ringo you know rightfully so he's been beat some this year been targeted a bunch for being a a top corner you wouldn't think he'd probably target targeted as much as he is last week CJ Stroud listen to this number guys when targeted anyone else besides Keely Ringo was 16 of 17 for eight for 279 Mm. yards and three touchdowns Mm. like that's very ungood (laughs) <laughs> okay, and then tar- uh, targeting Keely Ringo, six for thirteen for sixty-nine yards and a touchdown. So, you know, Lassiter and company and Bullard and Malachi Moore and uh, you know JDJ, all these guys pass pass coverage is going to have to be better. CJ Stroud, what did he do? A lot of scrambling, a lot of running. Max Duggan is a lot better than CJ Stroud at that. So. You know, Georgia's going to have to find some answers, so I do expect TCU to put some points on the board, but I, I expect Georgia's offense to get hot, and if it stays hot, obviously they'll win a national title. Pollock, last thing, man. You remember last year after you guys, after we won it, and I said, yeah, I want another one. You said, you want another one after 40 years? Yeah, <laughs> this is where we're living right now. I want another one. Hopefully they can do it on Monday night, man. You're the best. Appreciate you joining us. Hey, man, I thought it was greedy as crap. I still think it's greedy as crap. And to think, guys, just think about it, man. You just got 15 players drafted. 15 players. And to be back in the national championship spotlight and to be here and to be undefeated and to, be what, and to do what they've done, it's just silly. Like, Georgia is the new standard. Three out of the last six years, you're in the national championship. You know, you got a chance to go back-to-back, like, Georgia fans, out of all those years and all the heartbreak, like, it's got to be really, really fun. It is fun. I'm a Georgia fan, so it is fun. It's a lot of fun to know every week your team is really, really good, and you go get two in a row, man. You're an elite company. I guess Kirby doesn't do rebuilding years like Nick. Stop. (laughs) No, no. And listen, hey, let's be honest. Nick don't do much rebuilding anymore either, bro. He ain't been doing that in a hot minute, so. 
Pollock, man, enjoy the time out there. Go dogs. We'll talk soon. <laughs> All right. All right, dude. See y'all. Thanks, All right, that's David Pollock. One point of contention. It ain't easy to play for Kirby. A lot of people got upset that uh, Kirby called out Stetson by name after that victory over uh, Ohio State. We're going to come back, and I'm going to tell you how I'm completely okay with it. That's next. Rob Tribble in for John Chuckery, Sports Radio, 929 The Game. You know, he didn't get those opportunities until the defense stopped him. And we got fortunate to stop him a couple times. He must play better if we expect to win the next one. Rob Triple in for John Chuckery. Kirby got a lot of heat for that. You've always heard famously Bobby Cox would never really call out any players. A lot of coaches don't necessarily do that. Nothing wrong with what Kirby did. You see, we've witnessed, in spite of, in spite of what that former Tennessee quarterback said, uh, what's his name, Eric Ainge, I believe, calling him a punk? Stetson Bennett is uniquely equipped to handle hard coaching. The dude has been through everything, endured it, and that's why Kirby did that. And I'm wondering, here's an interesting story, and I, I said this before. Herb Brooks, when he coached the uh, U.S. hockey team that beat the Soviets famously at Lake Placid, the miracle on ice, Kurt Russell famously played Herb Brooks, the coach. Mike Ruzioni was the backbone of that team. And Mike Ruzioni was Herb Brooks's personal whipping boy. And he had an interesting way of addressing the team. If Herb Brooks was yelling at the team and he invoked the name Ruzioni, that means he was addressing the whole team, criticizing them. If he just said Mike, he was specifically talking about Mike Ruzioni. Right. Kirby knows what he's doing. Absolutely. You know and Stetson can handle it. You know what's funny? Uh, this clip made me think, do you remember when Oregon and FSU played for the National Championship? I do, yeah. yeah. Uh, do Jameis you, beat them, right? Yeah, Jameis. Yeah. Jameis and uh, Marcus Mariota. Yep. Do you... <laughs> Do you recall the whole thing about Oregon where the coaching staff talked about, oh, well, we don't yell at our players and we we talk to them as as equals and stuff like that? Yeah. This clip is why Georgia wins national championships and Oregon, and Oregon didn't. <laughs> yep, that's true. That is true. And it, it's well known. A lot of the players have said, it ain't easy playing here. You have to have a thick skin. You heard Pollock say it. You have to have a thick skin to play for Kirby Smart. One thing I noticed about what Nick Saban does, a lot of great coaches do this. Say, like, if Alabama's behind in the game, you don't see Nick chew out players that much. I'm sure there are some outliers, but for the most part, he won't go out of his way and get heated with them because he knows they feel bad enough as it is. So why pile on them? It's when they're beating, I don't know, UT Chattanooga 50-9, to that's when he really – because why did we give up those nine points? Yes, that's when he really eats into them so <laughs> yeah. they don't feel too good about themselves. There's a fine psychological balance. And unfortunately, it seems to be that um, that type of hard coaching just isn't acceptable anymore because of the tender sensibilities yep. 
of the young boys Absolutely. and the young men that are playing college sports. And Absolutely. It seems like they've been emasculated since an early age anyway. Men have. They have. Masculinity is uh, deemed toxic now. You heard that thing <laughs> a few years ago, toxic yep. masculinity. <laughs> Just because you're born a male, you are automatically toxic. I mean, that is the most abusive thing I've ever heard in my life. Because guess what? You like that toxic male when he's building the skyscrapers where he can go in there and have a comfortable place to work every day. Right. You like that toxic male when he's uh, laying the bricks for the houses you live in. You love that toxic male when he's paving the road so you don't have to hit potholes. You love that toxic male when he defends your country. I mean, you love that toxic male if you're in trouble and he, he seems to arrive just in time on the scene to kind of, uh, well, help the situation out. That is the most abusive thing, and I think that's carried over, too. There is a – and I, I'm sorry if I sound like an old man, get off my lawn, but I, it's, it's kind of done on purpose in a way. If, if, you, if you neuter the male species, well, it's easier to lord and rule over everybody. <laughs> right. You right. take away their backbone, you emasculate them, you castrate them, they'll be every bit as obedient. They'll be obedient little serfs. I believe that till the day I die, this has been done on purpose. The notion of the toxic male. Yes, yeah, sure, some of us are, but guess what? I've been around the block in relationships with women. I've been with some toxic women, too. But they don't get browbeated for that. Nowadays, if you criticize women, oh, oh, you can't do that. Talk about a protected class of people. But let's just crap on the men. So I'm done with that rant. But Kirby coaches them hard. I mean, think about this. Kirby, Nick Saban, pretty demanding himself. Kirby lasted nine years with Nick Saban. Kirby has a thick skin. He could deal with it. It's not easy to play with Nick Saban, but it sure is easy to wear those championship rings and kiss that trophy when the confetti's falling, isn't it? That's the difference. That's And that's what, going to the NFL, like that's what a lot of Patriots players always talk about. And it's like, it's tough to play here. It, they demand a lot. But it's worth it because it's you worth win all the time. But what's, what, what would be the best situation is you ain't going to get paid in New England. But if you're a young <laughs> yeah. player and win a ring, then you can go get yep. paid. It's a lot better in the NFL yeah. if you get that, get that ring early on, then you go for the payday. It's probably kind of frustrating when you don't win. And then you get your payday. It doesn't suck, but it's always nice to uh, hoist that uh, championship trophy and wear that Super Bowl ring. And conversely, I, I was listening to Randy McMichael. He always he's told me this too many times in the past. This week for the Falcons sucks. It sucks. Last week sucked, but especially with the last game looming, you just want to get it over with and get it get onto the off season and uh, reset and get ready for next year. It is tough to focus on this, and I don't care how much money you make. This is a tough thing. It's like in baseball. In August, if you're 30 games out of first, it is tough to get up and go to work every day. Losing sucks. It sucks. I played college baseball at West Georgia. We never won. We were didn't have a I've never had a winning record in any sport I played except high school basketball. We were ranked like third in the state and got beat by that's why I hate Marist to this day because <laughs> they knocked us out of the playoffs in 1985. Losing sucks. It's not fun. You don't want to go to practice every day. And I know you got to think for next year and uh, maintain your skill level and try to get better. 
But psychologically, that's quite the hump to get over just to endure and get through the season for a meaningless game on Sunday. And you just want to get out of there healthy, too. You want to go into the offseason, take a few weeks off, and then start getting ready. And I think this is one thing that I think um, actually shortened J.J. Watt's career. Now, he had that heart arrhythmia a few weeks ago. He had yep. to have his heart have shocked, his back into, shocked back into rhythm. A lot of heart issues going around with uh, football players, soccer players, a lot of that yep. going on. I think we're going to see more of it. There's an emerging narrative that's kind of disturbing, but I digress. Randy McMichael told me this about J.J. Watt. The reason why he was always getting hurt was because the day after the season ended, he's working out yep. hard. Mm-hmm. you got to let your body heal for a few weeks. Rest, rest, and more rest. But J.J. was so determined. But yeah. still, he's only re- he's retiring at 33, which is a shame, but first ballot Hall of Famer, surely. I was going to say, he's going to be a first ballot Absolutely. Hall of Famer. But it's not, it's not easy to play for Kirby, but that's a good thing, though. You don't want guys in Athens playing football who can't handle Kirby. Interesting thing, Steak Shapiro talked about this, and he told me about this too. The Steakhouse, by the way, every morning, 9 to 11, right here on Sports Radio 929 The Game. Steak had a conversation with Kirby when Kirby first got there, and Kirby uh, just told him about 95% of these guys in this Georgia locker room, me and Nick wouldn't even look at them. That's the fundamental difference. And that's how molecular they are when it comes to recruiting. The way your ankles move as an offensive lineman, they see that stuff, the loose ankles and this, just all sorts of little subtle things that a lot of coaches seem to miss, and Kirby said that. Most of these guys, me and Nick, wouldn't even look at, not for one second. So Stetson can handle it. Everything rolls off him, and I've said this before. Stetson Bennett, I wish that he should be a consultant to every major league closer. Because you cannot have a bad outing because you got to get back out there the next day. And some guys yep. suffer with that. That's why it's so mm-hmm. hard to find a great closer. And Kirby says, Stetson just has no conscience. He throws an interception, he gets over it. It was like, um, what was that? Ohio State picks off the ball and leads to a touchdown. Yeah. And you see uh, Stetson on the uh, sideline just kind of pointing his chest. It's mm-hmm. on me. Let's get back to work. Yep. He is uniquely wired in a way that, you know, a lot of guys with superior – Athletic skills and physical skills, they're not wired that way. If you right. could take that, his innate constitution, and put it into that, that guy that looks great coming off the bus, that guy that looks like he was created in a lab, how many of those guys have you seen that didn't pan out? Yeah, it happens all the time. Because they didn't have that Yep. that Stetson has. Stetson has that. I don't know if it works in the NFL. Somebody's going to take a flyer on him. I think Stetson might have a, a six-year career carrying a clipboard and occasionally yeah. – they might I, figure out some play for him since he is he's he's actually an underrated his speed seems to be underrated yeah, and his athleticism he, very underrated. Yeah, his mobility is underrated. I think Stetson Bennett's he's going to be if he wants to. I think he'll be a really good coach at the next level. He might be. I think he, I, like I don't know if he has the physical ability to be an NFL quarterback. Um like I said, I think he'll get it. He'll get an opportunity. Somebody might draft him in the seventh round, maybe yeah. in the sixth, or he'll at least, at the very least, be an undrafted yeah. free agent. But I think if he wants to, I think he'll be a damn good coach. Yeah, probably so. And here's one thing that will enhance him if he. I think he will be invited to the combine. I'm sure he will. When they sit down and interview that kid, and they realize how things don't bother him. Okay, I made a bad play. It, it's it's gone. It's in the rearview mirror. And not to mention his resilience and patience. Going through that journey, and people making fun of him because he's 25 years old, like that is some 
amazing advantage that he's 25 and uh, he's playing against 18-year-olds. No, it's not. It's not that big of an advantage at all, especially at his size. Chris Winkie won a Heisman at 28. There's been a lot of guys. Hell, look at BYU's roster. The Mormons, <laughs> they guys. have to go on missions. Yeah. A lot of those dudes are 25, 26, 27. Yep. They've got, they're married and already on their fourth kid. <laughs> Nobody says anything about right. that. So it's just uh, people are looking for ways to criticize him. And I don't know why we live in a world like that. It's ridiculous. When someone has some success and they earn it, there's always going to be the trolls that just want to tear them down. It's just weird. And our media is like that, too. What do we do? We build people up just to tear them down. Yep. We've done that to Trey. I'm probably guilty of that a little bit. We <laughs> built them bit. up. At, but I'm not doing it in a malicious way. I'm doing it because right. I love the Hawks and I want the Hawks to win. Exactly. And we'll talk about the Hawks again. We'll revisit what I was talking about earlier. And there's a, there's a myriad of things going on with the Atlanta Hawks that aren't good. Are they irreparable? No. But this is something that it could last a little while before you turn this thing around and get back to where they were a couple of years ago. I hope not. But there's a lot of issues there. And would you believe, my gosh, spring training, February 14th, pitchers and catchers report, at least for Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Rays, Braves probably not far behind. So at some point I'm going to have to start talking about the Braves. I'm surprised I even mentioned college basketball tonight because I try to go out of my way not to. But since uh, George upset Auburn and Mike yeah. White has the Bulldogs 11-3 and three, and he's 6-3 and three against uh, Bruce Pearl, and Josh Pastor and Georgia Tech get a victory over number 12 Miami last night. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about wouldn't it be nice if both of them could find a way in the NCAA tournament. I love your Georgia State Panthers getting in there. Yeah. Them and Mercer are the only hopes we have every March, it <laughs> every, seems like. Every March. It's, Maybe it's they can get on. back there now. So we still have a lot to do before 11 o'clock gets here. And, of course, they're going to be hosting for a John Chuckery for the next couple of weeks as he takes a leave of absence. But – if you need your recommended daily allowance of snark and sarcasm and dismissiveness and eye-rolling, he is still alive and well on Twitter, trust me. And it is hilarious. So John's going to take some time off, but he'll be back before you know it and uh, spitting his venom. And I always say he always gives you the water cooler talking point six months in advance. The best I can do is about two to three months in advance. Still pretty solid. Pretty solid. Pretty, pretty solid. solid. And he calls himself the Georgia Rattlesnake. I was calling myself the Georgia Garter snake, king snake, whatever. Garter snake. All right, going to come back. Let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. What's going to happen? They're going to hear from uh, Arthur Smith as well. Falcons taking on Tom Brady to close out the season, but the real interest and drama will take place in the offseason. So let's get this season closing game over with with everybody healthy, and let's see how Desmond Ritter get a couple of touchdown passes and go from there. Sports Radio, 929 The Game. 